If you got a Bible, go to 1 Kings 18. Yes, we're going to talk through some prophets in the Bible, how they lived, what God did in them, through them, and what it means to you and I. But I want to look at 1 Kings 18. There's a moment where God does something supernatural through Elijah the prophet, and I want to title this message, The God of Fire and Rain. The God of Fire and Rain and rain. If you're watching online, just drop a fire emoji or a rain emoji. Everybody say fire. Fuego, fuego. The God of fire. In verse one, after a long time, by the way, it was a long time. Sometimes we don't know how long a season's going to last. Elijah had prophesied there wouldn't be any rain in Israel. And until he spoke from the word of God that rain would come back, and he wasn't sure how long that season would last. Sometimes we don't know how long a hard season is going to last. We're, we're asking God, Lord, when are the hits going to stop? When is, when is this going to get easier? When are, when are we going to have rain again? When will our crops start growing again? When are we going to have a breakthrough here? When are we going to just have a break? And it says, after a long time, for three and a half years, they were in a hard season. But it was all about to change in this chapter. And I just want to prophesy over someone today. Things are about to change in the season that you've been in. Some of you have been in a long drought. You've been in a long famine. And God says, get ready. The rain's about to come. God speaks to Elijah. He says, go and tell King Ahab. Go and present yourself to King Ahab and let him know I'm about to send rain back on the land. It's coming back. It's all coming back to me now. So Elijah goes to present himself to Ahab, and the famine was severe. Things had gotten worse in Israel. It had gotten so bad, they, they, couldn't, they didn't have crops, they didn't have grass, they didn't have water. They were killing their animals. They were, they were losing their businesses. People were leaving the country. It was just really, really bad. And so he tells his administrator, King Ahab was a wicked king. He was married to Queen Jezebel. They had both brought in all kinds of false prophets. It says in, in verse 3 or verse 4, Jezebel had killed all of the prophets of the Lord, but there were some that had been hidden in caves. Obadiah had hidden some of the, the, the prophets of the Lord in caves so that there would remain a remnant in Israel. God always keeps a remnant during the famine, during the drought. And... So Obadiah feared the Lord, but he worked for Jezebel. He worked for Ahab, and they had brought in all kinds of false gods, and they had been worshiping, blatantly worshiping Baal, all these different uh, idols that they had set up instead of worshiping Yahweh, the one true God. And as Obadiah was walking through the desert searching for food and water, because Ahab said, we got to find, find some food. We got to find water. Our nation is dying. Go look for it. Elijah meets Obadiah in the desert. And he says, go and tell your leader, go tell your master, Elijah is here and he's ready to meet with him. And Obadiah says, what in the world? If I go tell him that and you're not with me, he's going to kill me because he's been hunting you down. It was Elijah's fault that Israel had not had rain. He had prophesied in 1 Kings 17, there would be no more rain. And, and so here they've been in three and a half years of a famine, a drought. And he says, if I go tell King Ahab, you're here and I don't have you with me, he's gonna kill me. He's gonna think I've been hiding you. Elijah says, no, no, no. In verse 15, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to King Ahab today. So Obadiah goes back to his master and tells him, I've seen Elijah and he's ready to meet with you. When Ahab saw Elijah in verse 17, he says, what are you doing here, you troubler of Israel? 
Elijah was a rebel for the Lord. He was a troublemaker in the right way because the king of Israel had been causing all kinds of darkness in the country and Elijah was challenging it. He was confronting the darkness. And he says to him in verse 18, I'm not the one that's made trouble in this nation, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and you have followed the Baals. Everybody say the Baals. So John and I, my brother and I, we grew up, and my sisters, we grew up with a dad who carried an Arkansas Southern accent, and he would preach every Sunday. And I remember multiple times he would preach about the Baals. And as a kid, I would remember him talking about how so many people in the world have abandoned God, and they're worshiping the Baals. And he would say, some of y'all worship basketball, some of y'all worship football, some of y'all worship volleyball. And he says, you'll give up church and you'll go and bow down to the bales on Sunday. And um, I remember laughing and also just being like, he's right though. Because in many cases, we may not put up a, a golden calf, we may not bow down like these people did, but we've used things to substitute our time with God. We've used hobbies and interests and careers and passions to say this is more important than God. This is more important than putting God first for my family. And my dad was very intense about like, hey, we're gonna set a day every week aside where we are gonna go to church, we're gonna worship God, we're gonna pray. During the week, we're gonna keep Bible reading in our house, we're gonna keep prayer in our house. And he just believed it was so important to have God at the center of it all, that we weren't just making God one of the things in our lives, but that he was the main thing. Everybody said, keep the main thing, the main thing. See, Israel, it's not that they stopped believing in God, it's just that they put him down a list of a, a bunch of other gods. They had allowed a lot of other gods to get in front of Yeshua, the one true God, Yahweh. They had allowed a lot of other idols to take place in front of of God. And Elijah says, enough is enough. In verse 19, he says, get all of the people of Israel, summon your people and meet me on Mount Carmel. I was just in Israel a week and a half ago with a group from our church. And we went to a valley called Megiddo Valley where the, where the battle of Armageddon will happen someday. And over to the side of Megiddo Valley was Mount Carmel. And our tour guide said, look over there to the left. He says, do you see that mountain over there? And it was this mountain. He said, yes. He says, that's Mount Carmel. I said, that's the mountain where Elijah called fire down from heaven. He said, yes. He says, can you imagine thousands of people filling that mountaintop, tens of thousands, worshiping false gods as Elijah would challenge them on this mountain to see whose God would answer by fire. By the way, the rain would fall on the same day the fire fell but the fire would fall first. In other words, the nation wanted rain, but Elijah says, before you can have the rain, you've gotta have fire. Fire purifies us so that we can experience the rain. The rain equals the refreshing presence of God. The fire equals the purification process of God. Fire is repentance. Rain is refreshing. In Acts 3, verse 19, Peter, the, uh, the, the apostle for Jesus, he was preaching after the day of Pentecost, and he said this. He says, repent of your sins, and times of refreshing will come. So he was saying, fire first, and then the rain. Everybody say, fire first, and then the rain. See, a lot of people want the God of rain, but they're not willing to endure the God of fire. 
There's a lot of people who want the benefits from heaven, but they won't go through the, the, the consecration to the Lord. There's a lot of people who say, God, bless my business. I need financial prosperity. I need you to pay off my loans. I need you to pay off my car. I need you to give me a scholarship. A lot of people seek the hand of God, but they're not willing to consecrate themselves to the heart of God. And the fire is the consecration. The fire is the repentance. The fire is saying, Lord, I've allowed some things to get between you and me. The fire is, is, is coming back to that place of saying, Lord, I, I want you and you alone. I'm not just seeking what you can give to me. I want to consecrate myself to you. You don't enter into a marriage just for the benefits. You enter into the marriage for the covenant, for the vows. The, anyone who's just in this for the benefits is going to burn out quick. But when you're in it because you are committed, come hell or high water, through richer or poor, in sickness or in health, I'm committed to you, Lord. That's where, that's where the real rain begins to fall is when you're willing to go through the fire with someone. When you're willing to go through the fire, God begins to purify. A fire consumes things. I almost thought about making this an illustrated sermon and bringing a flamethrower with me today. There is a guy in our church who owns a flamethrower. But then I thought that could get out of hand. That could end up on YouTube. It could be a disaster. I'm a little bit of a pyro and things would just get crazy and I wouldn't be preaching the message. Any pyros in the room? Any fire guys? Fire girl? Okay. Everybody say fire. All right, all right, all right. So Elijah says, I'm the only. Oh, watch this. In verse 21, I love this. Elijah goes before the people, all of them on the mountain. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you ride the fence? One foot in the church, one foot in the world. One foot following the word of God, one foot following what your flesh wants. How long will you waver in two places? How long will you ride this fence with God? It's time to draw a line in the sand and choose who you're gonna serve. He says, if the Lord is your God, follow him. But if Baal is your God, follow him. And the people said nothing. He was challenging them to make a decision. Elijah was full of courage. He was full of boldness. And I think about why did Elijah have courage? If you're taking notes, I want to give you three reasons I think Elijah had courage that can help us in our own lives to have courage when it comes to making a tough decision. Number one, his resolution outweighed his reservations. His resolution outweighed his reservations. Of course, Elijah had reservations that what if God doesn't show up today? What if I invite all these people on the mountaintop and nothing happens? What if I prophesy and nothing changes? But he was more resolved to obey God than he was reserved out of the fear of being canceled by man, out of the fear of being embarrassed by things not working out. Until you resolve in your heart that obeying God is more important than fearing people's opinions, you'll never step into the purpose God has for you. The only way I can walk on this stage is because I've resolved, Lord, I care more about obeying you today than bowing down to the reservations of my own flesh, my own fears, my own feelings of inadequacy or insecurity. We've got to get a resolution in our heart that says, God, I want you more than I want to be uh, uh, impressive in the eyes of man. Number two, his desires outweighed his desperation. His desires outweighed his desperation. He was desperate for rain, just like the whole nation of Israel. Rain was the most valuable commodity in that land. Or I would say water was the most valuable commodity because they had run out. 
And so they had, they had no more grass. Their trees were dead. Their crops were dead. Their animals were dying. People were dying because they had run out of water. Elijah was desperate for water, just like the rest of the nation. But more than he was desperate for water, he desired revival in his nation. Until we get the desires of God stronger in our heart than the desperation for temporary satisfaction. Because I could be desperate for a meal. and go, I'm so desperate. I got to eat. But if I desire a change in my life, then I'm willing to go without that meal for a moment until I can see the change happen. I'm willing to go without the thing that could give me temporary satisfaction when I have a greater desire for something that's a longer, more permanent, lasting change in my life. His desires outweighed his desperation. Number three, his compassion outweighed his complaints. He had compassion on Israel. He wasn't angry at Israel in a way that just was criticizing Ahab and Jezebel and I just hope they all burn up. He was saying, I wanna see this nation change. I want to see families experience the presence of God again. I want to see the altar repaired again. I want to see this nation following the ways of the Lord again. His compassion was stronger than his criticism. There's a lot of people who will criticize America all day, every day, criticize the church all day, every day. But what if we allowed our compassion to get bigger than our complaints? And we said, Lord, I just want every church in America to experience the power and the presence and the revival of God. I'm going to stop throwing stones, complaining and criticizing, and I'm going to get on my knees in prayer and ask you to move in my church, in the churches of this city, in this nation, in the world. See, Elijah was more compassionate than he was critical, and that's why he had courage to bring a change. So he says, how long will you ride the fence? In verse 22, Elijah says, I'm the only prophet left of the Lord's prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one bull for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood. But don't set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and I'll put it on the wood, but I won't set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I'll call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire is the true God. Everybody say the God who answers by fire. Yeah, yeah, the God of fire. In the 1800s, all the way up till 1967, in Yosemite National Park, they did an annual fire fall, is what they called it. They did this for 100 years in Yosemite. Every year, thousands of people would gather in California and they would gather at a safe distance away from Glacier Point in Yosemite National Park. And they would gather all the dead wood and the fallen trees that had fallen throughout Yosemite. They would bring it to the top of the mountain. And then they would have bulldozers behind this huge brush pile. And there would be a moment where all the people would be prepared right after sunset around 8 p.m. And they would do it in the dead of winter. They would do it near the end of January, early February. And it there would be snow everywhere, but they would gather right around that 7 p.m., 8 p.m. time frame. And on the count of three, they would all shout, let the fire fall. And when they shouted that, someone would light the match. This brush pile would light up and the bulldozers would begin pushing the fire off the cliff. And it would fall into the sky in the dark. And this, um, this massive amount of ember and fire would be falling from the mountain. And people would hug each other. They would cry. It was like a spiritual experience. Well, this young boy wrote about this. He said, I would go every year with my dad and mom. It was a huge deal. 
we would all just have this amazing experience at Yosemite National Park. He said, then my father passed away and I left California and I was gone for several years. He said, I came back in the late 70s, early 80s. And I remembered that childhood memory of the fire falling. So he said, I went back to Yosemite National Park and I was talking to the ranger. He said, hey, I wanna bring my kids to experience the fire fall. What date are you doing it this year? And the park ranger looked at him and said, what are you talking about? He said, what year, like what date are you doing it this year, the fire fall? He said, oh, yeah, I remember that. He said, what do you mean you remember that? You guys do it every year? He said, no, no, no. He said, we stopped that a long time ago. The fire doesn't fall here anymore. The fire doesn't fall here anymore. And those words gripped me. I, I, I wonder if that's the phrase that could be said about a lot of churches in the world today. The fire doesn't fall here anymore. The fire doesn't fall. I wonder if that could be said about a lot of believers in their lives today. The fire doesn't fall here anymore. Let that never be said about the church of victory, that the fire falls, the fire falls every single week. We need the fire of God in our church services. In the 11 a.m. service, the fire falls. We need the fire of God in our worship. We need the fire of God in our prayer. We need the fire of God in our Bible reading. We need the fire of God in our gatherings. We need the fire of God. You see, the fire of God resembles something. The fire of God is a symbol of deity. It's a symbol of the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. In the Old Testament, when God was leading the Israelites out of Egypt, he led them by a cloud by day and fire by night. The fire by night was literally the Shekinah glory of God leading the Israelites, a million Israelites following the fire. Everybody say, follow the fire. The fire was the presence of God. It was the direction of God. In the New Testament, the fire was the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, when they received the gift of speaking in tongues, it said that it, it was like tongues of fire appeared over their head as they were praying right there in Jerusalem, and they began to speak in other tongues. John the Baptist said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, he said, I baptize you with water. For repentance. But there is one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to tie. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Everybody say fire. Fire. The fire comes first and then the rain. In Leviticus 9, when they would offer sacrifices to the Lord, verse 22, they would lay the bull, the sacrifice on the altar. And then a burnt offering. The, the, the Lord would literally light the sacrifice on fire. It was a supernatural flame. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 verse 6, rekindle the flame of the gifts of the Spirit. Stir up the fire. Fan into flame what God has done in your life. How many believers have lost the fire? Well, the fire doesn't fall like it used to, Paul. The fire doesn't fall like I remember it did in 1953. Some of us are, we're consumed by past memories of God and we need to expand our minds. Some of us, see the fire is not just about repentance, the fire, and the word repentance is not just a public apology. It's not even just a private apology to God. Repentance is to change your mind. 
is to say God is up to something in 2023 and he is shifting things in America and I want to be a part of it. It's renewing my mind. It's getting, it's rekindling the flame in my mind to say I want to be a part of what God is doing today in his church, not just in America, but all over the world. Fan into flame, Paul told Timothy. Fan into flame. In Matthew 28, Jesus was telling the parable of the virgins. Oh, no, 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 it's Matthew 18. Matthew 28 was when he rose from the grave. That's fire too. But in Matthew 18, he was telling, telling the parable of the virgins and he said, the end times will be like 10 virgins carrying their lamps, waiting for the groom to call their names, to call out for the wedding. And he said, five were ready. They had their oil ready. They had the fire burning, but then there were five who weren't prepared. They had lost their flame. The Bible literally says that the oil had run out. They had, their flame was dying, dying flames, dying flames. How many believers have a dying flame right now? They've lost their fire. They've lost their flame. They're, they're, it, church is a checklist, just going through the motions. The fire of God is to have a passion to say, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to I allow anything in my life to be consumed that's not of you. Hebrews 12, 29 says he is the all-consuming fire. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Our God is an all-consuming fire. He burns away the chaff. I remember as a kid, Royal Rangers, we would go out to Camp Victory every year. We would have a polar bear camp out in the winter, and it would be freezing outside. And I remember John and I, we were staying in a teepee. Was that, it? Was that, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. And we were staying in that with my dad. And Commander Kelly called all the, all the Royal Rangers and their dads out. And he said, we're doing a bonfire. And write something down on a piece of paper and throw it in the bonfire. And so we would write things down. I remember my dad had something. I don't know what it was. But he threw it in the fire. He and John threw things in the fire. But it was an invitation to let the Lord burn up anything that was holding us back. For some kids, it was fear. For some kids, it was anger. For some kids, it was, I, I don't want to share my toys. Maybe for some people, it was, I'm having a hard time right now with life. And I've just been angry at the Lord. I've been angry at another believer. I'm, I'm offended. I'm hurt. And they would bring it to the fire. And they would say, Lord, I want you to consume and burn away anything that's holding me back from keeping my flame alive. Across the street at Oral Roberts University, there's a tower called the Prayer Tower. And just this past week, I was, we were driving up to the church at nighttime. One of my boys said, Daddy, what's that fire in the sky? He was pointing at the Prayer Tower. There's a flame at the very top of the Prayer Tower. I believe we have a picture of it. And he said, what's that fire up in the sky? I said, that's the fire on the Prayer Tower. He said, who put it up there? I was like, I don't know who put it up there, but Oral Roberts had the vision for it. He said, why? Why did he want fire at the top? I said, because he wanted the reminder on the campus that this university was built on a flame, on a fire that burned on the inside of him through prayer, through worship, through studying the word. And he told the campus, don't ever let the flame go out. Don't ever let the flame go out. That flame's been going for decades now. Can I tell you, the church has to keep the flame alive. 
Jesus is coming back for a church that is not lukewarm, a church that has not lost its oil, but a church that is ready, a church that is carrying the fire of God in the name of Jesus. We need the fire of God. We need the fire of God in our lives. The fire of God is the symbol of God's approval. When God was pleased with the sacrifice, he would light it up with fire. It was the approval. It was God saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. We've got to get the fire back. Proverbs 26 verse 20 says, where there's no wood, the fire goes out. Now, Solomon was talking about gossip. When there's gossip, it just keeps the flame going. But I also want to flip this and and talk about for a second the passion of God. That when we throw another log on the fire, it keeps the fire going. What does that look like? That looks like surrendering to the Lord. Where there's no sacrifice, there's no fire. When's the last time you sacrificed your time to the Lord? When's the last time you sacrificed financially to the Lord to say, God, I'm bringing an offering to you. David said, I won't give an offering that doesn't cost me. I, I need it to cost me. I need, I need my family to know that God comes first. I need to make my, my heart aware that the Holy Spirit, is. I, I can't go anywhere without the presence of God. God wants his church to remember the importance of sacrifice. That we would not be obsessed with the benefits of God, but we would be focused on the consecration towards God. The fire of God drives out junk. It burns away the chaff. My boys, they love fire. They're, they're, they're a chip off the old block. They got a little bit of pyro love inside them. And, and every year we try to do a couple of bonfires. Last year we were doing a bonfire and I had Liam, Benny, and Mac. Liam's nine, Benny's eight, Mac is five. And Ellie and Gianna were standing at a distance with their mommy praying for us. Ashley's shouting out, be careful. And I'm standing there by the bonfire and we're looking at the fire and the boys keep throwing more wood. Well, Mac walks over and he grabs Benny's action figure, Superman, just throws him in the fire. And Benny goes, what? Why did you do that? And Mac was like, I just wanted to see if it burns. And he was just no remorse at all. He was like, look, it's melting. And Benny was like, I'm going to do that to all of your toys. And Mac was like, no, don't do that, man. But he just, I go, Mac, you can't do, you got to pay for another toy for him. He said, no, no. He's like, I will, I'll do that. But he said, look, daddy, it melted. And, um, and it was funny, but there was a part of me that was thinking, I wonder what things we're clinging to that could melt. I wonder what things we're holding on to that could melt. And I wonder where we've been holding on to hurts, wounds, offenses, or just idols, just sin in our life. And we go, Paul, I can't live without this. I've got to have this. This is the thing that gives me energy. This is the thing that gives me peace. I've got to, I got to have these pills. I got to drink this. I got to look at this junk. I got to do this stuff. This is what keeps me. See, the Baals in Israel were false gods who promised everything, but gave them nothing. So here, Elijah says, call on your gods. Call on the name of your God. And in verse 25, 26, it says, they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, Baal, answer us. They shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. They danced around the altar. Baal, 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 please answer us. And Baal gave them nothing. Because anything that we put our trust and our hope in that's not God will eventually lead us to nothing. 
at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout a little louder. Maybe he's using the bathroom. Maybe he's on a trip. Surely he is deep in thought. He, he must be a real God. Perhaps he's busy right now, working outside. Maybe he's sleeping. You should wake him up. So they shouted louder. And then it gets worse. They begin slashing themselves, hemorrhaging blood on the altar of false gods. How many people are losing their life on the altar of false gods? Sin promises you everything, but it, it kills you. You're bleeding from these addictions. We're bleeding from the, the needles in our veins. We're bleeding from, we're hemorrhaging life on the altar of false gods. We're losing relationships and marriages and children on the altar of false gods. And they just keep doing it as if somehow things are going to change, but nothing changes. No one answers. It says midday passed and they frantically kept prophesying, frantically asking their gods to show up, but there was no response. No one paid attention, it says. And then verse 30, Elijah says, you done? Okay. On Mount Carmel, he says, come close. Everybody say, lean in. This is it. This is, we're almost done. It says they came to him and he began to repair the altar of the Lord. See, their false gods had damaged the real altar. Because they had been bowing down and worshiping the Baals, they had forgotten what the altar towards Yahweh looked like. So Elijah goes and he gets 12 stones that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And he says, you remember the God of Judah? You remember the God of Joseph? You remember how he pulled him out of the pit to the palace? You remember the God of Jacob? Do you remember the God of Isaac? You remember Isaac was in a famine too, Israel. He was down to nothing, but God gave him water in the desert. God caused him to prosper during a famine. Israel, have you forgotten who your God is? Have you forgotten what a sacrifice looks like. Have you forgotten what the altar is? We're living in a, a time right now where so many churches have abandoned the altar. We just got to keep church 30 minutes long, get them out in time to watch the Dallas Cowboys and bow down to Baal, 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 Baal. You can leave if you want to worship Baal, but we're going to stay a little bit longer in the presence of God today. I was talking with Michael Miller, the pastor of Upper Room. He said, Paul, I, I lost people when I started taking a little bit longer to worship and, and, and linger in church. And some of the people came to me and said, Michael, don't you care? You're losing families because you're going too long in church. And he said, I really, I was really like contemplating it. Like, okay, maybe I need to change things up and maybe I need to shift things. And they said, it's because you're singing too much. You guys are singing too many worship songs at the end, and you just need to cut the service and just end. And, and then he said, as I was praying, the Lord said, it's because their names aren't in the songs. That's why they're leaving. And he said, it was really tender. It wasn't meant to like make people feel bad, but he said, the Lord was reminding him, see, worship is about God. It's not about us. The altar is not about, God, I need you to bless my business. I need a million dollars this year. I need a new house. No, no, no. The altar is saying, Lord, I lay my crowns at your feet. I lay my sins and my hurts and my offenses. God, you deserve the glory, the honor, the praise. For from you are all things and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. You deserve the honor. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of all my attention. You are worthy of all my sacrifice. 
I'm not here for me. I'm here to worship you, Lord. So he gets the altar ready. He says, pour all the water that you have on the altar. Now, water was the most valuable commodity in Israel. They didn't have much left. There is no fire without a sacrifice. I want the fire of God. Sacrifice. Stay a little longer. Give up your comfort and your convenience a little bit more. I was watching this thing on, on TV the other day about this guy who's changing the football game in Colorado, Deion Sanders, Coach Prime. And he said, I'm challenging my team to sacrifice because there is no win without a sacrifice. Okay? Sports people get this. Athletes get this. The church has got to get this. We cannot expect a victory without a sacrifice. We can't expect a breakthrough without a sacrifice. So he says, bring the water. Pour it on the altar. When this fire falls, trust me, we'll have more water than we know what to do with. The rain will come. First the repentance and then the times of refreshing. You want God to heal some things in your life? Bring it to the fire. Watch as the rain shows up right after the fire. You'll see it in the same chapter. The same day the, the fire falls, the rain comes. It's, it's powerful how fire precedes rain. Rain follows fire. That, 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 that as soon as God burns up the junk, the, the rain of heaven begins to, abundance is coming. I'm telling you, favor is coming. The mercy and the goodness and the grace of God follows when we repent, when we get real with God and say, Lord, I want you to consume things that I've been holding on to. So Elijah prays. He says, oh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done what you've asked me to do. Now answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Stand to your feet all over this place. When Elijah said, you're turning their hearts back. As soon as he said that, as soon as the words left his mouth, verse 38, I want you to read this. Then the fire of the Lord fell and it burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil. It licked up the water and the trench. Elijah says things are changing from this point on. This nation will not, we will not tolerate any more idols. We're going to worship the one true God. He is the Lord. He is the God of Israel. He is the only God. He deserves our, our worship and our praise and our sacrifices. And in verse 41, he looks at King Ahab. He says, get ready. I hear the sound of a heavy rain. Get ready. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. It's coming. It's coming. His servant says, I only see a small cloud. He says, you better get ready. You better start running because that rain's about to fall. And sure enough, by the end of 1 Kings 18, it was the strongest outpouring of rain they had had on Israel. And I'm telling you, God wants to bring an outpouring of his rain on this church, on this city, on your family, on your life. 
If you want the fire of God, just leave your seat. Come down to the altar. If you want God to do something fresh in your life, if you want God to change some things in your mind, in your heart, if you want to say, Lord, I surrender, just leave your seat. Come and make this altar your place where you invite the fire of God to fall in your life today.
the name of Jesus. There is power. There's power. In the name of Jesus. To break every chain. To break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain. There's power. pray for healing. God, at this altar, Lord, I pray for every situation represented here today. God, that you are a good God. You are the healer. You are the deliverer. You are the Messiah. You are the one true God. Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you, Lord, for your healing in relationships and families. God, I thank you, Lord, for breakthroughs, for those that have been praying and, and standing that today, God, you lit the fire and you're pouring out the rain. You lit the fire and you're pouring out the rain. I pray this week, God, we would have fire in the morning and rain in the evening. Lord, that we would lean into the word of God, that we would throw another log on the fire, that we would pray, that we would worship. God, that we would keep the oil burning, that we would keep the lamp burning. 
God, I pray, Lord, where there's been just a, a drought and a famine, God, that the rain is gonna fall. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that as we seek first the kingdom of God, Lord, as we consecrate ourselves to you, you are faithful, you are Jehovah Jireh, you are our provider, you are our protector. We lean not to our own understanding, God. Not in our own understanding, but Lord, according to your word, in you we live, in you we move, in you we have our being. Because you have no rival, you have no equal, now and forever, God, you Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. You deserve it all. Yours is the name of all names. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is but to your name be the glory. To your name be the glory. I really believe that victory is going to be a house of prayer and worship in the last days, that people will come from all over the world to just seek the presence of God in this place. And I really believe what we do on Sundays, it's, it's a bonfire. It's, it's, a, it's a weekly bonfire, and it's just through the week we're adding more logs to the fire, 
There's people that are going to come in here every day praying and worshiping, just stirring up an atmosphere for when, so, that, so that when lost people come, they're so met with the presence of God that there doesn't even have to be a sermon to bring them to a place of salvation, that it's just the presence of God just touches people's lives. I feel that. I know it's been prophesied over this church, and, and, and many of y'all feel that, but it's just, um, I don't know, they're, they're like we're just stepping into a new season. We're stepping into a new season. Revival. Yeah. I just hear God saying, I love this church. I hear him saying, I love, I love his, he says he loves his church. He loves you. He loves you so much. And he wants to be your everything. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be your main God. He doesn't want any other gods before him, no other idols. He says, it's not because I, I want to stop you from having life outside of church. He says, you still have all those things, but he says, put me at the center of it all. Put me at the center of it all. Just, just don't leave God out of these things, these decisions, these days. Our days are, are, are numbered on, on earth. We don't know when our next day is, so that we would keep God at the center of our focus. Jeremiah said, your word is like a fire inside me. Yeah. Lord, I pray that we would be filled with that fire, God. And that it would, it would lead to great joy, great peace, great times of refreshing. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that we would leave today, God, just with a greater sense of trust in you, courage, hope, strength. Lord, that we would not forget that you deserve all the glory. You know, I said this in the last service. I want to say this in this service. There were two caves in Elijah's life. One cave was right before 1 Kings 18. It was the cave of preparation for a powerful outpouring of what God did. The second cave was right after this. And we'll get into this next week, but right after an amazing victory in Elijah's life, He's, he's very vulnerable, and one word from Jezebel sends him into another cave, and he goes into a deep depression, but God's with him there. The same God that's with you on the mountaintop is with you in the valley. He doesn't leave you when you have a bad day. He doesn't leave you when you fail. He doesn't leave you when you fall flat on your face. That's the goodness and compassion of God, that he's with us. But Elijah... We got to be very careful because right after an amazing high with God, we're very vulnerable to hit a low. And that's why we got to protect our hearts to know that God is not confined to just a church service. He's not confined to just spectacular moments, that he's with us on the Mondays, on the Tuesdays, the Wednesdays, the Thursdays. He's with us when we don't have the goosebumps, when we don't feel it. He's still there. And so this week, I just encourage you, whether you feel like the fire is strong just throw another log on it. Just get in the Bible, even if you don't feel excited to do it. Even if you don't have the goosebumps, put on a worship song in your car. Put church on in your car. Turn your car into a church service. Just, you know, make moments throughout the week to let the Holy Spirit keep on kindling the flame. And, um, and, and, and know that right after big moments, the enemy tries to come with temptation of discouragement or fear or failure or shame or whatever. Um, but just hold on to, to the fact that the presence of God is still with you in those valleys, in those deserts. Elijah would meet God in 1 Kings 19 in a different cave with a different 
feeling. He was discouraged. And God says, Elijah, go back the way you came. Don't, don't let this moment of discouragement stop you from fulfilling your destiny. So Lord, I pray this week, God, we would walk with you. We would talk with you. We would listen to you. We would allow you to lead us, God, out of this service into our Monday and our Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that we would not put you in a box to think that you only show up on Sunday, but God, you're going to show up this week. And Lord, I pray, God, that as we seek you and allow the fire of God to consume and purify things inside of us, God, that you want to change and refresh and renew, Lord, that your rain would fall, that the times of refreshing would just fall in our lives, God, an abundance of rain. And I thank you, Lord, that you're going to speak to people throughout the week, that they're just going to feel your, your voice deep in their heart. God, that they're going to sense just your Holy Spirit leading them, guiding them in your peace. In Jesus' name, just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I surrender. I want your will, your way. I repent and I receive your forgiveness. Change my mind. Lord, I want your fire. Consume everything in me that's not of you. Make me more like you. Shine through me. And I'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.